Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. On this episode, Tom talks with Dave Bixler of Veteran Shredding. Dave shares with Tom how from the very beginning, he focused on local shredding in his immediate backyard and has maintained that approach for the last 11 years. Keep listening and you'll hear why his local approach has provided incredibly strong return on that strategy. Dave Bixler, welcome to the Shred Coach Podcast. We're glad you're here. Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you. Yeah. So let's set the context. Give me some big picture details about veteran shredding. Tell me a little bit about the history, the story. Give me some of that. Where? Let's start with where are you located? We're located in a suburb of Minneapolis in St. Paul, a city called Burnsville. We're about 30 miles from downtown Minneapolis, small suburb right across the river, pretty good sized suburb. There's about seven or eight of them around the south side of Minneapolis and St. Paul. So we're located one. It's Actually, just south of Minneapolis. Got it. Okay. How long have you been in business? Tell me a little bit about uh, veteran shredding. Give me an indication because veteran shredding implies something. Veteran, I just tell me a l- little bit of the story. Sure. When I was uh, exiting the military, or thought I was, I was uh, entertaining, started another business, and uh, I researched everything and anything, and somehow document shredding stuck to me, and I was really intrigued by it. Did, did a lot of research regionally, nationally, and uh, recognized real quickly that there was a lot of big operators and there was a few small operators. And I found them to be very similar to the garbage industry regarding how they, they build them up and then the big guys buy them. Right. From my research, that's what I found. So I started this in around 2010 and uh, everything from went to shred school when I uh, went to the first NAID convention and started just doing some investigating and such, and really came out of the NAID convention, recognizing that I needed to do this. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So then I hired about two consultants to do some research and, and to be per se the devil's advocate, making sure that I wasn't seeing, I wasn't blindsided by what I thought was a great opportunity as opposed to what they may see. Right. Both consultants recommended that I do not get into the industry. Really? That is so interesting. Their research showed that the market was saturated and that there really wasn't an opening for a small company. And remember now, this was back in 2010. So we weren't in the geopolitical environment we are now where security system is, you know, is such a high. So as far as that, I went ahead, did some research, met with uh, the, the truck builders up in Canada, went, met with someone out in the West coast, started looking at a website and, uh, had myself a a mentor who was introduced to me, I believe by one of the, uh, truck builders. Okay. And, uh, we took possession of our first truck in, I want to say around April of 2011. Wow. That's so cool. So you vehemently disagreed with the uh, consultants and decided to get into it anyways. You buy a truck and 2011, you got a truck on the road. So fast forward a little bit for me. Currently, are you purely a truck-based business? Is that what you you operate? We are. We have three trucks. Two are mobile and one is a dock truck. We purchased the dock truck because we had some customers in downtown Minneapolis that would not authorize us to shred on site because of the noise and the ordinance. So we found out real quickly that if we wanted to work with the big banks, so we have, we got two mobile shredding comp- trucks in one dock. We are 95% mobile. Got it. Okay. 
And do you do ancillary services? Any other kind of services you offer? Are you doing hard drives? Are you doing scanning? I mean, people do all kinds of stuff in this industry. What's the peripheral stuff? So the peripheral for me is hard drive shredding. I was connected with a company in the mid, uh, middle of the country somewhere that was purchased by Shreddit. And they had just purchased a uh, brand new sh uh, hard drive shredder. Oh, interesting. Well, so I went down and purchased it and brought it back. And it's been nothing short of a perfect scenario, a perfect fill-in for document shredding. It is not mobile. It's plant-based. I actually thought I was going to try to make it plant-based. But I, then when I realized the, the machine I bought was so large, I would have had to drag a generator behind my truck to power it. <laughs> so, so we quickly went from thinking that it could be mobile to strictly plant-based. Got it. Okay, sweet. Currently, roughly, what's your full-time equivalent in staff right now? How many people are part, part of the system? Three full-time employees and seven part-time. Wow. Okay. Big part-time crowd. Weekends. Oh, um, yeah. Big help for weekends with shred events. Yep. And also the part-time people are a big help for me to uh, dump the trucks after hours. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So we've got a lay of the land. We've got an understanding. You've been in this business for over 12 years or so now, but the focus of the podcast, as you know, is a specific strategy, tactic, implementation thing that you've done that's made a significant impact on your business. So what, what's yours? What's been one of those things you've done that's really had a profound effect on the business? So when I started the business, I didn't have one, one customer. Okay. I didn't have one customer. And because you can't go out and get customers with the notion that, Hey, I'm going to buy a truck, you know, sign up. Right. One of the things that I didn't want to do, I already, I, I owned a property management company and I knew what entailed when you have to drive in the city. So I, my business model was to stay local, to stay within 30 mile radius of my facility. In the beginning, we took almost anything that became available. And that furthered my belief that we want to keep this really uh, a tight circle around the radius of where my facility is. So in the first year, we took everything and anything and we were predominantly purging. Got my, my feet wet a little bit and then I knew that this was for me. I recognized the fact that if you offer something with a niche market, in other words, we were available the day the customer called. Of course, mm. because we didn't have any customers. So the phone rang and we went out. Now that's risky, but yeah. what else are you going to do until you get customers? Right, right. And uh, 2011, we had started off with about seven customers after having a truck. And most of those people were customers that I had a relationship through another mm. business. Right. And we just went on and uh, persevered and pretty much took everything ad hoc. In other words, they would call and they would say, hey, we need you now. We would go on it. So for about 12 months, that was our... Bread and butter. So the, the focus was everything in your backyard within 30 mile radius. So let's not try and cover the world. Let's try and cover our backyard. Yep. And then anything that showed up, take it that day. Like just get it done. Correct. Correct. And the mileage thing wasn't a big deal because I kind of alluded to the fact that, listen, these companies have other businesses that are local to us, but right now they only need us say 60 miles away. We would never go farther than 60 miles. We, we never did. Randomly, we would go 40, 50 miles. And at that time, Minneapolis and St. Paul was undergoing a massive highway infrastructure change. So going through Minneapolis and St. Paul was painful, very, oh, very yeah. painful. So yeah. that pretty much cemented my initial thought of 
we're going to keep this local. We operated at what they call a seven county metro area, Minneapolis, St. Paul, pretty much being dead center of that. We were basically trying to stay south of Minneapolis and St. Paul. So that the focus is local, but you've defined your local area. You're willing to make anomalies as required, but that local focus really forced you to what then? How did that begin to, after your first year from seven customers, what starts to happen then based on that local orientation versus trying to be everything to everybody in greater Minneapolis? Yeah, that was the key. We, we recognized that we could not be everything to everybody. Large jobs with one truck can turn out to be a nightmare. And then, you know, you have to entertain the fact that when you have one truck, a breakdown can just annihilate everything and upset the customer base and put you in a bad situation. So early on, I recognized that having one truck, even though it was fiscally responsible, it was a, a, a train wreck if the truck broke down. So luckily in the beginning, we had so many, most of our customers were call-in only versus on a schedule. We were able to get past that. Mm. And at that point, it, I believe we we're at year three that I realized it's time to get that second truck and uh, eliminate that Friday night breakdown, which yeah. by the way, the trucks always break down on a Friday night, right. <laughs> just the right. way it is. Which makes the rest of your life miserable. And then you have other breakdowns. You have po personal and emotional ones undoubtedly. Yeah. Yeah. So by keeping the customer base close, and I mean, yeah. we were talking, we're talking no more than 20 miles from the warehouse where I'm in now. It allowed us to do a lot of pickups in one day. I bet. You know, historically in this business, it's been about density, but so many people I find when I, I see and observe them, they've got 16 hour routes that are going out to the middle of nowhere. And your whole focus right off the bat was stay local, stay consistent, stay responsive. And it's proven something for you, obviously. So as you've grown, so you're now into 12 years or so, has that local focus remained part of the, the system? Have you kept that spirit? We have. We really have. Really? With all the traffic and the uh, highway construction, Minneapolis and St. Paul four years ago, I flat out turned down every single job in Minneapolis and St. Paul that was a regular shredding service. We'll go in there for a purge, but we will not go in there for a regular shred. And that is today. To this date, we still will not go into Minneapolis and St. Paul. Interesting. My gosh, that's interesting. And the reason being is I went downtown and I took my stopwatch and I saw all the other shredding companies and I noticed that they are at buildings sometimes for two hours just because of lack of parking and having to use the freight elevator to go upstairs. And that then I realized that I don't even want to go there. Right. So, I mean, what I'm hearing you say is there's the time, but there's the economics too, because generally downtown undoubtedly is going to be pretty competitive. So you're paying for time, you're paying for, you're having to price that at a fairly aggressive level. So you're actually producing for yourself ROI just on that decision. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, there's other hidden costs that you don't recognize the inside the uh, beltway of the city. They charge, they require higher insurance amounts to be inside the buildings because the buildings are, have a higher value. And some of those insurance amounts were astronomical to the point where they would have taken me eight or nine customers in there to basically quantify or have a good reason to even entertain the job because the insurance increase was so much. So that coupled with the traffic 
the downtime, the lack of parking, to me, it was a no-brainer. Don't bother going in there. Let the other guys play in there. I, I wanted nothing to do with it. We stuck to it, and we get probably 10 calls a week on it, and the people that call us actually understand and say, no problem. And I tell them, listen, if you have a purge, we'll be more than happy to come down, but we're not your team if you want uh, weekly shredding downtown Minneapolis. My gosh, you are so counterculture in that. Have you learned anything else as a result of this stay local decision? No recurring in the major downtown area because of time, cost, expense related. Has anything else sort of proven itself from this philosophy that you've taken? What else has that done for the business? Well, by the mere fact that we stayed local, I joined some of the chamber of commerces in the cities, the, the counties that I work out of, the three main counties, which are the cities. So we're members of the chamber. We, we do a lot of advertising with them. We do shred events for them. And the fact that we now can label ourselves as locally owned and operated, it's true. We're locally owned and operated. And people tend to like to do business with companies that are in the same chamber or in, in a very close local uh, area. It's just they know that the trucks are here and they can, you know, so we, we have found that it, it builds a better relationship with our customer base. They're from the city, same city. We're in the same city. We're not that large of a city, but it worked out really well. And we, we are, we're members of two chambers and they're fairly large. And I would say more than half of our customer base is from those two chambers. It just, you know, then when you would go to the meetings, we go to the monthly meetings they have, it gives me a chance to thank the customers and, and shake some hands and, and get to know uh, more local businesses. Yeah, that's really interesting because when people think about local, especially when you're in proximity to a large city, it's very easy to assume that the big city is your location as opposed to the small suburb or area related. And it feels like that has given you leverage that if you're trying to fight somebody who's playing the whole city, like you're winning on that little, I mean, in a military way, you're like winning the battle. Like you're winning that local battle all the time. And, and, and another thing to keep in mind, we're in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. November, December, and January and February are snow months. Right. If you think that traffic is a problem during the summer, throw in the snow and going downtown, you're going to get landlocked and you're going to get locked down there. And, you know, it's not like you can just keep on driving until 7 p.m. The businesses aren't open. It's kind of twofold problem that you're locked in the inner city with all the traffic and then you have this bad inclement weather and it's just, it makes it even more difficult. So like I said, to stay out of the Twin Cities for us is a good fit for our business model. Yeah. So interesting. You know, if you're talking to another shred operator, somebody who runs their business and they're, they're in a smaller market. What would you say to them? They're in a smaller market like you related to this larger one. How would you, what would you encourage them? What would your advice be? Be patient. If you're in this for the long run, be patient and be cautious of taking the immediate, you know, customer that might be farther than you really want to go. And what happens then is when, if you do take those customers, let's just use a number of 80 miles and you take them to get them. Then all of a sudden your local customers come in. Now, you know, every time you're driving out there, you're losing money because yeah. your truck's on the road, you know, 80 miles out and 80 miles back. Obviously we all know about today with the fuel prices, right? 
it's even that much worse now that you're not only are you losing time, but now you're paying a lot more money because of the right. high cost of diesel fuel. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because one of the questions for me about these strategic decisions we make is what's the impact and the value. And I'm trying to process that in my head and I go, well, probably just in the last six months, the sheer savings that you've made by being a locally focused company just on fuel, let alone driver time and all of that kind of stuff. Just being local has probably saved you thousands of dollars. It has. It, it really has. I can tell you that the earlier years when we were doing those longer runs, I keep track, you know, obviously we keep track of all our fuel costs and we've not only brought our fuel costs down, but now they're consistent. Wow. We don't wow. have that zigzag fuel cost that was hard to budget for. Now with a very consistent fuel cost, we go through the, about the same amount of fuel. Uh, obviously now with the cost, it's more money, but we're, let's hope that's temporary. And if it isn't, it, it'll right. still be consistent at least. It's just yeah. going to be more expensive. Yeah. So uh, anyone that knows when you run in a business, consistency is nice for budgeting and forecasting. Right. right. No, that's really good. So I, I love this. I think it's such a cool idea and it's it seems so counterculture in a way because there's this thing about get big, get big, go everywhere. And yet what you've done is carved out a really cool niche, I think, in terms of saying, let's be local, let's be the dominant local force, which also impacts your value proposition in terms of just profits in the business, which is pretty powerful. Do you have any other value propositions to add to this perspective? Our motto from the very beginning was stay local and offer the absolute best service you can with a guaranteed satisfaction. A lot of companies won't do that. The big ones can't do that. Our motto is if you're not happy with our service, you don't pay. And I, I'm proud to say that that's happened uh, less than five times in, in 11 years. It's so difficult when you're doing purges. It's yep. so difficult when people want a window of one hour. It's that's right. not practical. It's not, it's right. really not practical. And what we see a lot of is the customer that says, I have a hundred boxes. We block them out for 45 minutes and they have 500 boxes. Right. So we have two options. We can upset the customer that has more boxes than they have and tell them we have to leave at a certain time where we upset the second customer who's expecting us in the window that we promised them. It's a dilemma that you got to try to win and make a contact call right then and there and decide what you can do to keep everyone happy. But that's our biggest dilemma. But the fact that we're keeping it local makes it a little bit easier because yeah. we don't have that one hour drive from customer right. one to two and three. Right. No, that's so good. So good. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you. That's really helpful. It's a helpful perspective and I appreciate you sharing it uh, so eloquently because it really helps to make sense for anyone else trying to get in the business, trying to start up in competitive markets. It's big fish, small pond. I, I, I love the concept. So really cool. I, I got a completely random question for you. Okay. What's a jet yard and what's the solution? I was digging into your LinkedIn account and man, Jet yards and solutions. So what the heck is that about? So when I was in the military at the end of my career, I was doing aircraft disassembly and part outs and such. When I retired, I, a friend of mine started a company and I worked with them and I didn't expect to be there very long. Well, I've been there now for eight years. And what we do is we work with the aircraft boneyards down in Arizona. We have two of them and we basically take care of aircraft that we call end of life solutions. 
Wow. So with aircraft, Tom, just like your car, your car, when it's at its end of its life, some people may part it out and sell the engine and the seats, right? That is paramount in aviation. The parts are worth hundreds of times more than the aircraft. They pay us to part the airplane apart, and then we recycle the aircraft, and then we call it end-of-life solutions. Interesting. So a jet yard is kind of where the plane goes to die, but the solution is you pull it all apart. And you got that's, it. And so not only are you in the shredding business, you're in the pulling apart old airplane business. And you know what the best funny thing about it is? At the end of the life cycle, the aircraft gets shredded. Really? And it's all about recyclability, just like it is with paper. We try to recycle everything on the hard drives. We try to recycle all the paper using the proper methods, using the NAID uh, certification locations. We have this a similar certification in the aviation world where it's about trying to be as green as possible to never put anything that doesn't require to go into a landfill. That's the bottom line right there. So interesting. One of the things that just blows me away about talking to people in our world is behind the shredding operation, there's lots of other interesting things. I've never met anyone else in the jet yard solutions business. So that's really cool. Dave Bixler, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your experience, and giving us this really cool insight today and really nice talking to you. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. It's uh, always a pleasure and I uh, hope to run into you again sometime soon. Thanks again for listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. Make sure to tune in every week for a brand new $10,000 strategy or idea from trusted shredding and business professionals.